Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Quarcast. It's episode 9, May 22nd. I'm Owen Newkirk. Across the interweb is Sean Shapiro, although he sounds like he's in my same office today here at home because we're working on a little bit of a new technical setup that hopefully sounds a little less amateurish. What do you think, Sean? I mean, sounds good so far, right? We'll see. Uh, I mean, I guess the real judge will be how, uh, <laughs> how listeners hear it, but I mean, so far it sounds good. So far, so good. So yeah. we've cleaned up a few things. The next step would probably be to get uh, even better microphones and really step it up and that sounds like something that would re- require some sponsorship money, wouldn't it? <laughs> and financing, and yeah. Maybe uh, the Quarcast goes a little bit fancier than that. But right now, we're just stuck here doing it for the love of the game, right? Mm-hmm. So, as we get this episode going, uh, it's, it's 2020. There's a pile of things going on in the world. It seems like if it's not a quarantine and a virus, it's murder hornets or you name it, that things go haywire. And no, uh, contrary to the Twitter rumors, my house has not been taken over by a gigantic furry spider. Um, but it's just one of those weeks, Sean. Did anyone ever, uh, like, identify, like, it's Twitter. Did anyone ever, like, tell you, hey, that's this type of spider or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, so I, tw- I found a spider on our trampoline control panel because the trampoline we have is actually wired in underneath so that you can hook it to an iPad and bounce around and play games and it can Wait, actually, really like you can play your i you can play ipad games on a trampoline that's correct and it actually tracks okay. the location of where you bounce and you can do things sort of like whack-a-mole but it's different things okay. like that um and so it has a battery pack that you attach underneath the trampoline and it's wa- the wired there's four sensors underneath the trampoline and they're all wired in and we kids haven't used it for a while and they wanted to do it uh the other day and so I went out there and, of course, nothing was working. It's, you know, when you only use it once every six months or so, everything seems to be slow. Batteries were okay. Couldn't figure out why it wasn't. I went underneath the trampoline and started messing with the connections just to make sure. And as I said to my older son, Leighton, hey, I think I've, you know, I've, I've unscrewed and screwed the connectors back together. Let's just make sure everything's working. He goes, hey, Dad, there's a spider on the, the little plastic thing. I go, what kind? He goes, you might want to see this. So I crawled out because I'm, you know, underneath the trampoline and it's not big enough to even sit up straight. And I go, whoa. Now, I'm not deathly afraid of spiders, but big ones with lots of fur and uh, colors make me take a step back. I don't immediately go, ooh, what's that? Yeah, that was a a step back-ish spider. Yes. Now, I zoomed in a picture because I wanted to share it, so I tweeted it out for those that didn't see and Sean had probably the funniest of multiple people suggested I'd have to burn down the house or the yard or both. But Sean actually suggested that the spider had taken over our household and was now in charge. And that, that got me laughing almost as much as Groob saying nobody's identified it. His name is Steve. So Steve turns out, yes, there were identifiers out there. Uh, a, it's called a bold jumping spider. Oh, jumping. Did, it actually, did you actually see it jump at all? I didn't. Um, I observed it, a very twitchy, jerking movements. It's yeah. the kind of spider that kind of shifts side to side a lot, and you, you see that sort of herky-jerky. Um, I don't know if, which is creepier to you. Is it the spider that twitches and jumps, or is it the, the big ones that slowly crawl and then run real fast? Um, I mean, it's the... It's, 
the slow crawling one, I think that gets you when it, when it runs fast. <laughs> but it's not that you worry about it until it happens. So the good uh, news is that these guys are completely harmless. Um, they, there's nothing to be afraid of other than your own phobias. So if you're super grossed out about spiders, and, and it was actually very small. It was uh, probably yeah. a little bit less than an inch in length. But bigger than your average garden spiders that you see or the little tiny ones you might see crawling in the house once in a while. And so big, uh, you know, thick black legs, fur, shiny iridescent colors. Um, if you have any issues with, with spiders at all, this will not help. The, see, Groob's made a mistake for you. Once you name it, you have to keep it. Well, I didn't get rid of him. Yeah, I know, but it's, it's one of there. those... Now that, now that he has a name... Now that he has a name, there's too much of a... Um, what, is he a pet? He could be. Steve, <laughs> Steve the trampoline spider? I mean... Yeah, anyway. So, so that's what's going on in our house. Um, do you have any invaders in yours, or are you doing okay? Uh, we've been doing okay. Um, it's been no spiders to speak of. Um, the bugs have been... There's no, there's no bug issues here. That's good. Good. Yes. I've had a, I've had a couple. Uh, been learning on the fly on how to. I guess the only invaders is we've been learning. Like we've got the we. One of the things was we planted the. Uh, we did some some gardening during all of this, and I, I added another raised bed to the backyard, and we got some some beans, and uh, we got some beans growing. We got some zucchinis and cucumbers and everything like that. Uh, but I've had a couple mushrooms pop up. We, intended or natural? We, we didn't plant mushrooms. Ah, and, yes, that, ha that and, happens from time to time. And so that's been the only invader, and it's just been kind of learning about, okay, what do I do with those, and do I get rid of them? Like, well, I guess get rid of them, but, like, things like that. So that's the only invader we've gotten, but that's uh, less scary. Good old fungus, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I think if I was going to be invaded, I'd probably, I don't know. The idea of being invaded by mushrooms sounds kind of creepy, mm -hmm. but I'd probably rather see mushrooms growing up than having an invasion of a lot of spiders or yeah. other bugs. So let's go with invasion of the mushrooms. I'd, I'd rather I'd rather <laughs> wake up I'd rather wake up to an invasion of mushrooms than an invasion of spiders. Yes, I think so. I think that's fair. Okay, so getting this back on track, or if we've ever have a track at all these days, the. Latest scuttlebutt around the NHL is, I mean, we're literally waiting, Sean, today. Um, last night mm -hmm. around, I think it was 7 o'clock Eastern time, the NHL PA Executive Committee had a, uh, a, a phone call or conference call and started voting um, about mm -hmm. the proposal from the NHL to, as we discussed in last week's episode, a 24-team playoff. Now, the big change, before we talk about the voting, the big yep. change in format from our show last week to this week was we were really talking about top four from points accumulated, suggesting that the Stars would have to face most likely the Chicago Blackhawks in a wild card or play-in round. Mm -hmm. And we were thinking best of three. Well... Now that's shifted to point percentage, which puts Dallas into one of the top four buys, which would really give the Stars an, an added bonus. And it also seems to be the case that they're leaning towards a best of five first round series. What do you think about both of those developments? Um, I, 
I like the best of five, actually, for a little bit more for the integrity of the playoff structure. I think you have, by going best of five in that playing round, which we'll call it right now, um, you lose, there's less of the, uh, there's less likelihood of a goalie stealing a best of five than there is a best of three, right? I think so. And, and also there's more of a time, of a justification period where if you lose, if you lose a best of five, the, you actually lost it. It's not as much of, hey, it was a fluke. It's a best of five is, is a little bit, it's a larger sample size that I think is more fair. Um. In theory, I would so, agree like, with that. It feels like um, the concern of I don't want to lose to Patrick Kane, or for some reason they keep using um, Carey Price. Carey Price in, in Montreal is the example yeah. because those are probably the two teams that everyone's saying, well, I don't really know if they belong. But I don't think you worry about them dominating a best of five as much. But you no. know what? If you lose that, I mean, you had a chance, right? You have to lose three games to lose yes. that series. No, so like to me, to me, a best of five just makes it a little bit. It, it adds a little bit more integrity to it, I think, just as far as the whole format. And um, I also think the other thing you get by having a best of five, and this is something we may bring up in a little bit, where you talk about teams playing someone coming off a bye. Um, you don't have. You you could have a team start slow in game one. If you start slow in game one, and all of a sudden you're down, and you, you start slow in game one, your first game in five months, right? And all of a sudden, in a best of three, that could be a killer. In a best of five, it's just a small hiccup to get over. Now, and, when we, Sean, when we were covering the AHL yeah. with the Texas Stars, you and I had a lot of debates about best of five, because that was the yeah. first round of their four rounds of playoffs. I believe mm-hmm. it still is. It is, yeah. And it's a little bit wonkier because with normal travel, it's either a 2-3 or depending on where the situation is, it could be a 2-2-1 a, a two, two, if they're closer geographically. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, that happens more in the east than it does in the west. The 2-3 is, is funky because as the higher seed, you can actually choose to play the first couple of games at home and actually give up home ice advantage. Yeah. That's a whole other issue, but... In a five-game series, unlike a seven, things can get out of hand quickly or quicker. Obviously, that's even more heightened in a best of three, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's it's, and the AHL one is obviously another is a larger conversation for another day. It makes sense, but I mean, it makes sense to say for another day. Um, but it's I, I think best of best of three, you would have some issues with results. I think you would have. I think best of three would happen, and you would have some people saying like, "Should Team X really be there?" Like, like you know what they they were they they yes yes they won that one game, but they, they were better for that one game. But their goalie stole game two, and they got their stole their goal their goal their goalie stole game three when really they were outplayed in the other two. They were out maybe they they were outplayed for all three games, and their goalie stole two games, like. I think you have way more of an opportunity for complaints and nitpicking at something that's already going to be nitpicked if you go best of three. Best of five is at least okay. This is a larger sample size. In th- more often than not, the best of the better team should win if you play a longer series. Yeah, I think that's fair, yeah. and it makes me think back to the NCAA days where 
Uh, even now, you know, yeah. the Frozen Four is is a a single elimination tournament, and it's so exciting. But it also doesn't necessarily mean the best team wins. Mm-hmm. In no, I mean, does, don't get yeah. me wrong. I'm not trying to marginalize the uh, the college winner every year. It's just that you know you can get on a hot streak and have things happen and win one game and make your way through the bracket. Whereas uh, it might be harder for the the Cinderella teams to win prolonged series. Well, it, I mean, it goes into sample size is an interesting thing in all of it, where it's something where just to just to kind of take an example for this is an example you will like just as a as a Liverpool fan. <laughs> Liverpool is the Liverpool is the best team in the Premier League. They are going to win the title. Yes. They're they're the best team in the Premier League. That does they may be the best team in all of Europe. That doesn't mean they're going to win the Champions League. Correct. In fact, they got knocked out of the Champions League. Yeah. Right. And, and so and and for and even just to get a good example, the team I root for Spurs last year, they they obviously they lost in the Champions League title. In the title game to Liverpool, while it would have been great to win that championship, it's not like anyone would have looked at Spurs and said, "Hey, they were the best team even in England." Right. They would have been well, last season. It would have clearly been well. It was clearly City and Liverpool, and and um, but that's kind of what happens with you already run into that with a with smaller with all with smaller tournaments anyway. Oh, we got a dog. Oh, hi, hi. Oh, dog interference. Dog interference. Hi. This, unlike normally, is a good thing because we're remote. Because Vesna, yeah. who's your younger of your two dogs, usually barks at me incessantly, yeah. even yep. though I'm a big dog guy and I don't yeah. chase her at all. Yeah, but she's, she's not barking better with at people. me through the screen. That's good. Yeah, and she's off. Okay. <laughs> so the other part of this, Sean, is gets back to today's stuff. Yeah. Is that last night the NHLPA had a call, and mm-hmm. the reports that we were hearing from. Darren Drager, Bob McKenzie, a little bit from Elliot Friedman, you know, the, the typical national guys, mm-hmm. um, seem to suggest that this was not a matter-of-fact procedural vote, that there was a lot of raucous, spirited discussion. Yeah, um, there's, there's from, you kind of read what's been reported, and you talk about, and, and you kind of, the other interesting thing about all this, I think one thing we have to keep in mind, and, and this is something where, and I only know this because I've done my digging on how the stars vote on this, the people voting, it's the executive board, and so it's 31 players who are on the executive board for the NHLPA, right? There's one, there's one for each team, and so all of them will, all of them have one vote. So for the Dallas Stars, it's Jason Dickinson. Jason Dickinson vote in the NHLPA is the vote that will count towards this return to play procedure. Right. Jason Dickinson, how he looks at it, and this is how I assume most guys look at it, um, there are some things where, there are some procedures, where there are some parts where he already knows how the team thinks, where he feels confident enough, where issue X, if we're voting on this right now, I'm okay voting on this right now because I know how my team feels. There's other things that come up that may come up during that call, and probably this is, I'm assuming, is the case that came up where, and not just for Jason Dickinson, for the executive director, for the rep- representative for the other teams, there's like, you know what, I think I know how my team feels, but I can't vote for my teammates on this without checking with other people. Like, it's because it's very much a, they're, they're, they're like elect, they're, they're basically like an elected official voting for their constituents, but unlike a lot of times with, elected officials and constituents, they actually then have to go 
be in the same room <laughs> as their constituents. Well, they know all of their constituents. Yes. They have yes. to be teammates with them, and they have to yeah. face all of them on a regular basis, or at least a normal, normally they would. Yes. And so it's the type of thing where, let's just say the issue of should we play or shouldn't we return? From my understanding, the Stars players are pretty uniform on, hey, we should return to play if, if we can figure out a way. So if that, come, if that vote was in, Jason Dickinson probably has no issue raising his hand and says, yes, the Stars are in. Now, if all of a sudden comes to the table and says, well, how do people feel about three games versus five games for the teams in the playing round? Hmm. And all of a sudden, if you're in Jason Dickinson's shoes and you know, hey, I know five teammates like this, five teammates like that, but I'm not really sure, all of a sudden that gets to the point of like, I can't vote on that right now. I need to check with everyone and see what, what the best vote I think is, comes from my team. And I think that's one of the issues too that we're seeing. There started to be a vote last night and why we still are, there's still, that's, that's why it can kind of roll into today and be ongoing. I think that's an important thing to remember where, this can continue and roll over because it's not as simple as these guys have these guys wanting to have the carte blanche to say my opinion is what we're going with when they've got to answer to their own teammates at the end of this hall. Right, and just because they're the player rep doesn't mean they're the most the senior most player on their Correct. respective clubs or the leadership necessarily. Correct. So um, the as this goes along, they were saying what by tonight perhaps we could know. Possible. That's something that we could see. We could know by tonight, by Friday night. So, so, again, as as I've been reading through this as well, this doesn't mean that we're done and here hockey's no. back. It just means that if they could push through, I mean, that was what I think Bob McKenzie said. Even though there's a lot of spirited discussion about this, the the sense is that Donald Fair, who's the of course head of the Players Association, the NHLPA, mm-hmm. that he probably can push through this that has enough support that he can get this yeah. uh, ratified for lack of a better term. But yeah. uh, this only means that they would then have something, a framework to then work on when, where, and how do we keep it safe? But at least the idea of, okay, this is the template of when we do return, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. Basically we're going to get sometimes soon, sooner than later, I think we're going to get a format and a laid out type of competition. And then it just comes down to, then there's still a ton of stuff that needs to get figured out on where and when it happens. Is obviously those are the two, those are two big ones. And sure. then all these other, there's a whole multitude of list of things that come into play that also need to be figured out. Um, the, in some things that seem simple at first, but obviously it's not, you can't just wave a magic wand. Like there's the, it's not surprising, but obviously there was the report yesterday, and this was, wasn't really a surprise, but it makes sense, that oh, the NHL plans to try to basically file a waiver that extends contracts to the end of the 2019, uh, 2019-20 season, whenever right. that is. And, that's, and that's, not, that's not a surprising thing, but, and, it, and it's easy to say, oh, that's what we'll do, but it's, but it's not just waving a magic wand and making that happen. There's other things that need to happen within all of that of, okay, I'm sure players may have some concern of what does that mean for this and that, and and all of a sudden you have different things that players have afforded to them until that was typically going to be afforded until them June 30th, and now that's going to go till whenever. So it's very, um, it's very interesting in all of that. And then the other thing, too, is how does that work for, just hypothetically speaking, just to kind of 
just to show kind of the other levels of this, are we extending all NHL player contracts through the end of the 2019-20 season? Or like, for example, Joe Thornton, I'll just pick a guy who would be a free agent on July 1st. Is Joe Thornton still a San Jose Sharks employee on July 1st, even though San Jose is not going to come back to this? Right, and I read something last night, Sean, that suggested that that wouldn't be the case for staffs. Yeah. Meaning coaches, trainers, equipment managers, a lot of uh, ancillary staff, even assistant general managers. I, I've read a few. I think it was through Michael Russo's yeah. reporting yeah. that there are guys whose contracts are up at the end of June yeah. who would basically be dealt with on an individual basis. So if they decided they didn't want to bring them back, they could be done before the, the season actually finishes or even resumes. It's and like it's free to talk with other teams. Like it's a technicality the Stars yes. have to have to do because Rick Bonus's contract as an interim head coach expires on June thirtieth, so they will have to. And there's full the full plan is Rick Bonus will be the head yes. coach for the remainder of whatever this will be. So there is going to have to be whether it is a all encompassing document that extends everyone or it's Jim Nill and Rick Bonus signing an addendum to 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 a date or whatever that needs to be done. So. There's more scuttlebutt out there that we won't talk about today, but just about there's rumors or sources reporting about the possibility of only two hubs, one for each conference instead of the four that we've been hearing. They're Mm -hmm. leaving a lot up in the air. Uh, There's a great piece where um, the, was it two-man advantage guys that Scott Burnside and uh, Pierre Pierre. Lebrun spoke with Steve Mayer, who's what everyone calls the NHL events guru. He's the chief operating officer of the league. He's the one that puts together the Winter Classic and the All-Star yeah. Game. and But basically, Sean, when you skip through that, and we won't have to get into it in detail, but yeah. just that he seems like they are – he probably knows more than he's telling us. Yep. But he said a lot of things are fluid, and they're kind of staying ready for everything. Yeah, they are. And, I mean, the one interesting thing that popped up to me that was just interesting that I – because it's the first I've heard of it was I heard that Edmonton is trying to make a, a lifestyle pitch to players – to, to be a hub, as in, hey, here's, like, the city of Edmonton basically had secured a golf course, had secured had, mm. had secured a golf course that only NHL players would be able to play at. They were setting up something, like, like just kind of setting up, like, hey, here's a lifestyle you can have while you're in quarantine here. Instead of just being locked yeah. in a hotel room. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. Well, a lot more yeah. on that front to come as we start to get closer to things like when they could possibly do it. How, uh, and of course the format seems to be the one that's going to maybe be decided sooner. The other question, the one other one, just to just kind of, I'll throw this out there, and this is just my own random thought thinking about this. If there's really seven teams that don't have a chance in the playoffs, do we even need need a draft lottery? That's a good question. Do you let let those seven teams have a lottery? Because typically the draft lottery is is supposed to be a, a... Draft lotteries are in place to stop tanking, right. and draft lotteries are in place so you can finish. You can be the twelfth worst team in the league, be fighting for a playoff spot, and still win, and still, and still, and still move up in the lottery. I would be okay if there was a lottery for the teams outside the twenty-four, which is the seven, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I would be okay with that, just for the sake of a little. I mean, why not? It would be another thing to get eyeballs on the league. Yeah. What would you be? I mean. I don't. Know I'm, not, you, I'm not. I don't. I don't, I don't mind it. I don't mind rounds, it. It's just right. I, I don't mind. I don't mind it. I just. It's just a. It's just a thought of. Do right. you need? Typically, the point of, the point of, of a draft lottery is to stop teams from tanking. And so, 
the haves and the haves, so you don't intentionally try to be a have-not. Well, Here, you're already a have-not, so you don't need... What I would suggest, just out, you brought yeah. this, I hadn't thought about this before, yeah. but what I would suggest yeah. is that the seven teams have one draw, not three. And obviously you weight it based on the, the reverse mm-hmm. standings. Yeah. And the best that can, you know, whoever wins the draft lottery gets number one. Let's say it's not the worst team in the league, which is the Detroit Red Wings. Yeah. Everybody else shifts one spot. That's yeah. it. Yeah. I would be okay with that. Yeah. Of course, the Detroit Red Wings would be happy to just do standings and get the first overall pick. Yeah. Because then they can get Alex Lafreniere and move on from there. Yeah. yeah. Up next in the Quarkcast, we're going to talk about round two of the 99 Stanley Cup playoffs. The Dallas Stars classic game review is game six against the St. Louis Blues. And I guess that's why they call it. Segment two of this week's podcast is the continuation of our planned four-part series going over the 1999 Dallas Stars Stanley Cup championship run. Last week, we discussed the first round where they knocked off the Edmonton Oilers in four games. The sweep that, Sean, we agreed was clearly a better team than the Oilers. Mm-hmm. Oilers yeah. tried some other tactics. It didn't work. This time around, the Stars played the Blues in round two, who had to fight their way back to get through to the second round with some Game 7 heroics against uh, the Phoenix Coyotes. However, St. Louis, in watching this series, seems a lot more of a competent opponent, all due respect to the Edmonton Oilers. The Blues are a better team, and I thought they were more even with Dallas. Do you agree? 100%. They were a much better team than Edmonton. Uh... They were they were a they were a better team than Edmonton, and they were a team that was how do I put this right? They were a team that you could at least you would have favored Dallas, but you could have at least said you could have allowed someone to make the upset case. I don't think there's anyone that would make the case that Edmonton would beat Dallas. I, I think I can't see any that would. Yeah. And so I think with St. Louis, I think there's at least where you could have, if someone, if someone picked St. Louis in this series, you'd be like, okay, I don't believe you, but I'll at least hear why. Edmonton, it would have been, no, Edmonton's not winning this series. Not a chance. It so, seemed yeah. like if, if not for their physical bruising, they, mm-hmm. wouldn't, they would have been you know, skated out of the building kind of thing yeah. by the Stars. Okay, so this series begins in Dallas as the Stars, of course, are the higher seed. And we're going to summarize the first five games quickly, and then we'll talk about game six in a little bit more depth. The game one featured a couple things. First, Brett Hull scored his first goal of the playoffs, which I thought was huge for him, not just because of the St. Louis tie-in, which we'll get into a little bit more, but just the fact that I didn't think the Hull-Madonna-Lettinen trio was very good against Edmonton, and I thought that they really started to look good in game one and obviously the things that stood out to me that line stepping up and being more effective joe newendike still looked fabulous mm-hmm. hall gets a goal i thought grant fear was quite good in game one eddie belfour yeah. gets the shutout he was better and then the slashes at the end 
Verbeek on Turgeon, and then Jamal Mares on Sador, and both Verbeek and, and Mares get a one-game suspension for game two because of it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it kind of sets... It was there was definitely some animosity in the series too, like from right from the, the get go of it. Obviously, the Edmonton series, you had some there, it's some rivalry, but it wasn't the same as what the St. Louis rivalry I think really packed into it. And I think you also add into the element of you have such a key player in Brett Hull that had been such a fixture in St. Louis for so long, leave St. Louis to come to Dallas, and so it was it was one of those two where. I think game one, even though Dallas wins game one, it's one of those games where St. Louis decided decides and takes the approach of we are going to we're going to be a bully too. We're going to physically leave our mark on this game, um, and obviously that also led to some suspensions and, and things like that. But I, I think that was one of the one of the tones you take from game one, and I think that conti- that continues into game two as well, where you still have St. Louis kind of taking a bit of we're going to try and beat we're going to we're going to try and beat the stars up a bit too. So moving into game 2, Verbeek and Mares are suspended, but the big thing is the return of Darian Hatcher. His first yep. game of the playoffs because now his suspension for the hit on Jeremy Roenick is done. So he's in and and we're we're glossing over a little bit to get through this, but Sean, there's been some, you know, players in and out. The Stars defense are a little banged up. Chambers with some issues, Matt Fachuk with some problems. So we've seen sort of this run of uh, Brad Lukowicz getting some games, uh, Doug Lister getting some time here and there. But this is huge because he's the captain. And this, surprisingly, as Hatcher comes in, leads to what I think was the most fun game to watch of the series because it was the most high scoring and it was back and forth. It was just good hockey. From a um, from a just a hockey perspective, if you were to pick almost one game from this run, from a casual fan, you right. may pick this game just to watch, just because of the back and forth nature of it, because of how it played out, and um, and and just kind of it was a little bit more open. It had it also it did have the overtime finish, it did have that suspense at the end, but it was also for how games were played back then i mean this was this this would be like a i mean this this would be like an 8 7 game being being <laughs> played right really, now like yeah, like, sure. like for the stars to let up four goals for for the stars to let up four goals and win is is like the stars were a good were were a high scoring team that by nhl standards then but f- scoring five goals was not common in no. nhl <laughs> Uh, I thought Pavel Dimitri was great. I, I mm-hmm. thought he was good in the whole series. And it, it, it's sad because, of course, he was part of the KHL team, Yaroslav Lokomotiv, mm-hmm. that mo- almost the entirety of it died. Yeah. Uh, was it 2011 when the, their plane went down and crashed? Yeah. I think it was. But yeah. I remember Dimitri when he played in the NHL, and he was one of the more dynamic players, really fun to watch. He was great. He had two goals in this game. Um, I thought he and Joe Newendike had a nice little back and forth because Newendike scored twice. That game-winning goal, Sean, in overtime was just sick. So mm-hmm. cool. That snapshot from the top of the circle. It, again, we're going to get to more of these throughout this series, but goals back in the 90s because of the style of goaltending went in from there. If you shot yeah. a snapshot from the top of the circle today without anybody in between you and the goalie and it went in, that would be considered a soft goal. Yeah. But that was a sick shot. 
No, it was a great shot, and it was the uh, so much has changed about goaltending too. Where agreed. Um, also, just the pure size of size and angles and everything like that. Like it used to be one of the big things too about on those shots where you come down and you, you take that hard shot on an angle and stuff like that. Um, goalies used to play that even more aggressively, and if you were off at all on your angle, it was so much easier to score. Goalies actually play that less aggressively now, and so it's harder to be off on the angle. Right. And like if you. And, and also part of that goes into size too. Ben Bishop doesn't need to get as aggressive as Grant Fuhrer needs needed to be on mm-hmm. on that play. So it was just interesting to watch. And and uh, I said something to you last night. I don't know if you saw my late night text, but I did. Yeah. Do you think that's true? I it seemed like back in the '90s that a lot of the long distance shooting. Now there's more of it, right? T- players don't wind up and crank slap shots from the blue line today. Yeah. Is with as frequently as they did back then, but. Two things. One is there's no netting behind the glass, which is insane, right? But we weren't there yet. Um, mm-hmm. So you see some shots go into the crowd. But I see a lot less of that puck shot and deflected up into the netting or, in this case, into the crowd in the 99 playoffs that I've watched so far comparatively to our game today in 2020. And I wonder if – and you're a goalie, so you notice this even more than I do – do you think that has something to do with the style of goaltending now and how they approach these shots? Um, I, th- I think it has a combination. I think it's a combination of factors. I think it's. I think part of it now is you have. You're at a point now, and this is. This isn't new to goaltending, but one of the things now that. One of the most active. One of the most active pieces of equipment for goaltending, and what it's become, and, and really the growing trend is it is. You use your stick to make the save more than, um, than the. You're not seeing the, the kick save in a beauty, like the old school kick save in a beauty. That is the type of thing that is. It, it's if you're if you're seeing a goalie make a pad save now, most of the time they're trying to make the stick save first because you have the control and with the stick you can kind of control which way it goes and where it goes. And so part of it is that where you're seeing if you take a shot low low stick low glove side, okay. I'm intentionally spiking it with my. I'm using my stick and I'm angling it because I want to spike that thing into the corner right. or up up as far as possible. So part of it is that. Um, the other difference too, I think, comes down to just. I think more guy. I think you have more guys that get velocity on their shots too. I think shots are whippier, for lack of a better word. I think like like Al McKinnis is in this series, and it's been actually kind of interesting to watch him play and play as much as he does. As, I think he's 35, 36 in this I series. I really enjoyed watching the McKinnis Pronger pairing in general, yeah. but him especially because he doesn't take a John Daly esque backswing. He, no. he has a short windup and just cranks it. But, but my my point being is he's a guy, a guy who could get the shot up to that. But it's not like with the equipment now and and with where the sticks have gone, it's much easier to for everyone to have more of a whippy shot. So you have way more pucks coming that come in with that velocity that, that then can have the exit velocity. And I think part of that also comes to a little bit too more with the goalie sticks as well. A lot of goalies don't use the – no one's using a wooden goalie stick anymore. It's a fiberglass composite or whatever it is. And so – you're getting more, I think you're getting, maybe someone who understands physics can explain it a little bit better, but you're getting more of, more speed coming in, more speed coming out. No, in a material in, in a material that's not deadening, and if you are making the stick safe, it's a material that's not deadening the puck, for lack of a better word. 
Uh, and then the other part of it too that you have is now you see a little bit more of the, uh, if you look at a goalie stick from then, if you look at the blade, it was very flat. And I'm and I'm I'm doing hand motions now, which no it one can see. Works really but, well on the podcast. <laughs> but but it's it, it's it's more flat. And it's more it's 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 not already. There's no there's not a natural curve for handling the puck. Mm-hmm. Some goalies had started to do it then, but it's not not as everyone. And so the now goalies have the curves on their sticks and everything like that. So there's even more of that natural ramp when you are playing when making that save and, and spiking the puck away. So yeah. I think. I think it's it's no it's a, it's a definitely a good observation well, and I, I think, think the stand up yeah, style too yeah. like you said we talked yeah. about it a bit but a lot of the stand up goalies were taking long shots on their feet and yeah. having it hit them and and it was sort of driving the puck down. Yep. Now goalies are dropping to the butterfly so much that everything's getting pushed up and I think that leads to a lot more of that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, mm-hmm. that was just an observation I noticed throughout the series it was fun to sort of watch uh, mm-hmm. Belfour and Fear go at it. Um, Games three and four were not aired on Fox Sports Southwest, as many of you may know, because they were only showing ones where the Stars won. Uh, But I actually found game four on YouTube. It's an ESPN broadcast, which is fun because it's Steve Levy and Darren Pang. And both games won in St. Louis three and four via overtime wins. Obviously very close, low scoring. Um, The game four one stands out, Sean, because of the Sergei Zubov turnover. Yeah. That leads to Pierre Turgeon scoring on a break-in and a snapshot from the slot. Uh, good shot. Good good play by Turgeon. Really bad giveaway by uh, Zubov. And look, he's a Hall of Famer. But, it made but me it's... wonder, if Twitter existed then like it does now, would people have been all over Zubov just like they are John Klingberg today? No, it's a perfect example. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying John Klingberg is a Hall of Famer, but right. But but the but defenseman, they play similar styles. The defense, yeah, the defenseman who handles the puck a lot and therefore has more breakouts is going to have more turnovers. It just happens. It's truth. And so that's a perfect example of it happening to the best defenseman in franchise history yeah. in, in a big game. So. Um, yeah, it's it's it. That's something that, that that's a good point because it's not. Um, if Twitter had existed during this playoff run, it would have been fascinating. Oh my god! But so game five now we get back to the ones we can watch yeah. on our DVR, and it's back in Dallas. And Sean, this one is what I say is a as old as hockey. Special teams and goaltending helps you win in the playoffs, and the Stars got exactly that. Belfour mm-hmm. outdueled Fuhr. He was great. And the Stars got early and often. That's the other thing. Throughout this series, Dallas scored first more than they didn't. And they did it pretty early in games. They got the lead a lot in this series. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of funny to look at from a perspective of we watch a Dallas team that has started so slow and struggled playing from behind a lot that you look at what this team did as a whole. Of Dallas, this team, this Dallas team was a fast starter. It was a team that got out and got ahead early and if they didn't they also didn't get behind early so it was very it, it was a team that was had a very tone setting mentality about it and I think it also kind of went into a little bit of I think that also played well into the type of goalie Belfour is I think Belfour very much fit that vibe of a goaltender where if you get two goals for me 
I'm not, you're not beating me. Yeah. Like, and, and like on a day like this one, like it was, and then in game five, you talk about that one, it was, it was uh, the Lenton and shorthanded one and the Langenbrunner. Like, that's a, that's a game Dallas wins 3 1, where they got outshot, what was it, 31 to 15, 31 to 16? They were getting so, bombarded, especially. Yeah. Um, so I thought the uh, Blues had a pretty poor first period. It was also tough to watch this game because this was one where they had to take the Fox Sports Midwest broadcast. So it was actually St. Louis broadcasters. I can't remember who the broadcaster was. It wasn't Dan Kelly at the time um, mm-hmm. or John Kelly, his son, who's yeah. the play-by-play guy now for them. Uh, this, I wasn't a big fan of this play-by-play guy. He had a bit of the two, I'm trying to force a fake Joe radio vo- sound to his voice. And then when he yeah. got excited, it was a little awkward because it wasn't his normal voice because he, he sounded like he was too contrived. But yeah. these guys were definitely St. Louis rooters, weren't they? Yeah, they were. So, but I, I noticed that Blues had a really uh, a not a very good first period. And then I thought, as to your point about the shots, I thought they were all over Dallas from the second period on. But I thought Dallas kind of did that by design. The Stars got up 2 to nothing, and I thought they just kind of sat back and tried to control the game. Well, it's, it's classic hitch. You yes. play to the game. It's classic hitch. You play to the game. But that shorthanded goal from Madonna to Lettinen was awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, quick strike early. The other thing I noticed about that one is that Tiger Woods and Marco Mero were in attendance. They were he was actually playing. They were playing the Byron Nelson, yeah. and they showed them on the TV broadcast like four times. Like, yeah. hey, there's Tiger Woods, and it wasn't like Tiger Woods in the suites because this is at Reunion Arena. They're just in the stands and they're drinking like a soda. Yeah, I thought that was pretty. There funny. were yeah, there as everyone anyone who wasn't at Reunion, there was no suites at Reunion Arena, so it was. <laughs> Um, it's one of the main reasons that Reunion Arena had to go, actually, because there's obviously so much money teams can make from suites that, that they couldn't just simply make in that building. What do you think so. of the late, I don't know if you remember this real well, of the disallowed goal for goalie interference in the crease that would have made it 3-2 to two at the very end of the game from the Blues? I don't, I don't, recall, I don't yeah. recall it so well enough. It was, it, was, it was foot in the crease, um, trying to remember who it was, because it was a shot by McGinnis to the point that was tipped in. And it might have been Jeff Cortnell, but it might have been somebody completely different. But he definitely hit, it might have been Hanzu's foot hit Belfour. Anyway, it didn't matter. The Stars weren't going to give up another goal. They win that game. So now we go to game six. And this is probably the one that we should spend more time talking about because this is the one we were going to focus on. And yet we've summarized for a good long period of time. Because, Sean, that's what we're good at. Mm -hmm. Um, But this was... Look, I mean, I wonder about going into this one. The Stars had played two games in St. Louis and lost, but they had kept them to overtime, so they probably felt um, they could win either one of those. And particularly the Zub- the one in Game Four where Zuboff turned it over, it came right after Dallas had a really good scoring chance at the other end of the ice and a good shift. So yeah, I don't think the Stars were that intimidated going into Keel Center as it was named for Game Six. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't. They weren't. I don't think they were. I think one of the one of the great stories about this game is the uh, is kind of the legend of the whole is the song had already been around, but one of the is kind of the growing legend of the uh, of the Pantera song "Puck Off." That is uh, that. Uh, it's a great name. Yes, just that a is great ob- name. That is obviously uh, that that is, that is that is. I mean, I don't know how many. I have, I have no idea how many NHL teams have ever had any point had a goal song written specifically for them. I don't know. That's don't a good know question. I don't know the answer to that either. Um, but so that song had obviously been playing at Reunion Arena. Um, 
and they'd had uh, stars had pretty good success with that song, and so got to so take you to '99 technology. Uh, Craig Ludwig's Craig Ludwig says, "Hey, how about we?" Uh, can we, Craig Ludwig basically says to Vinnie Paul, can we, you know, you think we can get that, we can we get a copy of the song for us uh, um, for in St. Louis in game six. And as the story goes, uh, there's a pretty good clip of Vinnie Paul telling this story where he basically says, it's like, it's like Luds, I don't think they're going to play it over the loudspeaker for you in St. Louis. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Ludwig basically says, no, I, I just want it for the locker room. And so... He basically makes a copy because um, this is Lud- Ludwig basically called him about this. They were star team was already in St. Louis, and so he put it on a he basically put it on a plane to get it to. This is probably a CD in '99. CD, it? yeah, yep. we're talking, yeah, um, and to get get basically get a copy of the song, hard copy of the song to the stars, and uh, it's uh, what. It, Tape cassette tapes were still around. I'm sorry, I'm hung up on the details here. But yeah, but it's, it it's a question. Been a tape. It could have been a it, tape. Either I know CDs were out there, but I don't remember in '99 yeah. if it was common to be able to burn them unless you were in a studio or something. But I mean, Pantera would have had access to a studio. It, it so. could have been. Okay, I'm I'm belaboring yeah, the I, details. I, I, either way, it's one of those where the hard copy of the song is on an airplane that is probably supposed to get to St. Louis around three o'clock or something like that. It does not arrive at three o'clock. There are bad storms. There's delays. There's, there's, uh, the plane has to take a little bit of a weird route, so it doesn't get there, doesn't get there before the game. It's not there before the, um, it gets to Dallas, it gets to St. Louis, and it gets to, ends up making its way to the Stars locker room, um, right at, right at the end of the, right at the end of the third period. Wow. And it gets to, and basically goes to Ludwig, and, uh, Lud's, Puts plays it in the lock plays it in the locker room during the inter, during the uh, intermission before overtime. Stars go out and two two and a half minutes into overtime, the series is over. And that's kind of one of the great legends about that song. Um, there's some other legends about with Pantera and what happened with the Stanley Cup during all of that, but yes. uh, <laughs> but the uh, the the one that is. Uh, <laughs> On the ice, that's a pretty that's a that's a fun story. They it definitely feeds into the superstition, doesn't it? Oh yeah. So in this game, uh, nothing going on really in the first period. It was pretty. Uh, the difference was unlike a game one where you see, or even the first round of a, a big boxing match where you see fighters feel each other out. Yeah. Game six was in your face at the net in the first ten seconds. It was like okay, well we just started playing again. It wasn't a let's ease our way in. They went right at it. But nothing happened as far as goals in the first period. It was back and forth, but pretty pretty contained. And then Al McGinnis scores on an absolute bomb early in the second period from the point. And these are the kind of goals. It was a beautiful shot, Sean, but they just don't happen yeah. much in the NHL these days. No, they don't. No, it's that's a heavy shot too. That is a heavy it shot. Was a heavy, and it, and yeah. like I said before, he gets the pass. It was D to D, and he ripped it before Langenbrunner could get a stick over. And again, his backswing was probably to waist height, and so it's so efficient. He doesn't wing up to the shoulders, and he release. I mean, Al McGinnis. It, I know. I know he's a good player. I've watched him play yeah. before, but watching this again and doing it now at this age versus back when I was a teenager is so much fun to see because you really appreciate 
uh, how efficient he was in everything he did because he doesn't look like he he's kind of reminds me of Zuboff in a, in a certain way because he doesn't look overextended in his movements very often. Yeah. Um, but great player. I thought the Blues were better than the Stars in the second period. I thought they were really all over them. I didn't think Dallas created much of anything until they had a very little bit of a surge right at the end of the second period. But, Sean, early in the third, there's a play where the puck's in the left-wing corner, gets centered out to Scott Young, and he redirects it on net, and Belfour makes what I think is the save of the game by far with his left pad. And it's not quite the toe, but it's close. And he had half the net to tip it in. If this puck goes in, I don't think the Stars tie it. And not that the Stars weren't good enough to rally. I just think Mm -hmm. St. Louis locks it down, and we're going to Game 7 in Dallas. No, I think that's definitely I think that's fair, 100%. So that led to them being able to eventually get the tying goal. With six minutes ago, Derek Plant, uh, on a screen shot, he just gets one in the slot, and Fuhrer, speaking of Al McGinnis, is blocking Grant Fuhrer's view after he had gotten knocked over by McGinnis. Yeah. And he gets back up, but he had a chance to get reset, and Plant shoots it, ties it. And Mike Modano said this after the game that, after Plant scored, they felt a lot of confidence going into the end of the third period and into overtime. Well, I think one thing we need to mention is <laughs> it's one of the crazy things you think about. That's Derek, This was Derek Plant's last game of the playoffs. And he didn't play the game before. They actually had the young uh, John yeah. Sim, who was, I think, 21 at the time, yeah. played game five. Yeah, Derek Plant play only ended up playing six games in this playoffs. He played the, I think he played all four against Edmonton. Well, you have to look at his yeah. game log. To, but he only played six, and this is the only goal he scored. And he was someone who, it's kind of funny, you think about, he scores such a big goal. And in today's day and age, you score, like, this is very much goes against what coaching is. You score a big goal, you're probably staying in the lineup. Right. And you would think so. Hey, you, you would think won, you yeah. helped us win the series. And it's, it's funny when you think and you look at his history where Derek Plant scores this goal, then comes out. And he's also, Derek Plant got traded from Buffalo to Dallas midseason. From Buffalo to Dallas. It's <laughs> very weird, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so the, the other thing is is that Guy Carboneau's back in the lineup, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, John Sim had played the game before, but they put Plant back in. Obviously, that worked out well, but Brian Scrublin was a healthy scratch. Um, and so that, obviously, he's a veteran guy. They brought him in for that. Hitch liked, we all know this. We had him in Hitch yep. point, 2.0. He likes his veteran guys. He's not going to sit him forever. Um, and so that's part of what happened as well is that Scrudlin got back in the lineup. Yeah. Which we'll talk about next week when we do the Colorado Avalanche. But, uh, Sean, just the final goal in overtime. Uh, Brett Hull gains the line. Great stretch by Sador to stay on side. He goes to his left. Hull does, goes around the net, centers it. Looked like he almost was going to beat Fuhr to the, near, to the post between his foot on that little mm-hmm. sort of wraparound centering pass. But then Madonna gets a couple of whacks at it and knocks it in, and it's over. It was... It was pretty abrupt, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was kind of, it was, and it was fitting too that Hull had the, set up the, the game-winning goal in St. Louis in a place where obviously he had been such a fixture, and still remains a fixture. Like, yeah. he obviously went back and he and was a big, when they did win the Stanley Cup this year, he was a big part of the celebration there, so. So the, the Stars, just if you wanted to summarize the series, Stars win in six. It's different than Saint, than the Edmonton series. I, I know that St. Yeah. Louis was, was physical, but I thought that Edmonton really tried to punish physically. I thought St. Louis was more trying to agitate, especially guys like Cortnell who are really good at it. 
Yeah. But I thought that it was a much more toe-to-toe. Like Pierre Turgeon, Pavel Dimitra, McGinnis and Pronger at the back end. This team matched up with the Stars a lot better than the Oilers did. And yet the Stars really never got pushed to the brink. And it, maybe it was because they won the first couple of games when St. Louis was coming off of that you know, yeah. tough first-round series with Phoenix. The Stars had nine days off, or I think it was, between the first and second round. But mm-hmm. more importantly is... Dallas never really felt the pressure of being behind. The closest was when it was 2-2 two to two and Game 5 at Reunion. They won that, and then uh, it was really backs against the wall for the Blues. I mean, I feel yeah. like, Sean, I guess what I'm getting at is that the Blues could have won this series. The Stars really? did. No, they could have. And, I mean, I think one of the big turning points of the series is the is that game, too, is if, if the St. Louis Blues win, game, win that overtime in Game 2. You're looking at something that's much different, I think. I agree. So yeah, and so three straight overtime games could have been more, um, four out of the six in the series, but the Stars win and they move on to the conference final where they'll face the Colorado Avalanche. We'll discuss that one next. I have a feeling Game Seven is probably going to yeah. be the the focal point, but I've got a week to try to catch up, so uh, that'll be fun. But Sean, up next, uh, we're going to get a little bit serious for a few minutes. Yeah. segment we have a, a topic that came up this past week that sean and i both felt was pretty important to uh, for us to discuss but ordinarily we have a bit of yeah. a flair sense of humor maybe even some dark humor where we'll uh be self-deprecating and make fun of each other uh, that's very common and i welcome that um wait sean until you see maybe i'll tweet it out sometime this week or so um, my mother-in-law found a picture of me in an old elmira jackals game program Okay. from like 2004, 2005 range. Mm-hmm. And it definitely was about the time where I had a realization that I've been eating too much junk on the, the bus trips and not <laughs> exercising enough. Yeah. So we'll make fun of me later on this. But this is actually serious. And so I want yep. to turn to a topic that I think doesn't get nearly enough discussion in our entire society, but particularly in the scope of hockey is yeah. the article in the Players' Tribune that was written and published by Akeem Alou. Now, for those of you who don't know who he is, he is a former player. He did play a little bit in the NHL. I remember calling games against him when he was playing for the Abbotsford Heat, then of the Calgary Flames organization. Um, He also played for the Blackhawks uh, affiliate in Rockford, and there's some pretty big issues there. Uh, But basically, Akeem Alou came out, Sean, was it this past year? Um... Uh, there's been a couple of incidents well, of his this, where th- it's created a lot of social change or the at least the discussions should begin before we even get to the article. Yeah, well, I mean, the big thing, obviously, is it's been, it was about seven, eight months ago now where um, where it, the, the things came out, the, the, everything came out about Alou and Bill Peters, Correct. where Bill Peters directed the N-word at him in 2009 over about his, in the, in the locker room about his taste in music. 
And, Which was uh, Rockford Ice Hogs, if I remember. With the Rockford mistaken. Ice Hogs, okay. yeah. Yep. And Bill Peters um, ended up losing his job after, after in the fallout of all that. And uh, and Alou has since had conversation had had conversations with the NHL and uh, Gary Bettman and Bill Daly and stuff like that after that. But um, and while his story had kind of been told, um, his story had kind of been told. This was the first, the piece he wrote was a very powerful first person type of story that only he could tell in that way, I think, right? Like, I, I think it's, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Several writers who have tried, uh, you know, valiantly to try to do this. And it's just like the example of you can't tell other people how they're feeling. Yeah. You can't tell them physically or emotionally. Whether, you know, if somebody has an injury, physically like a bruise you say oh it's just a bruise suck it up they yeah. you don't know exactly what kind of pain receptors are reacting and how they feel some people have a higher tolerance to pain some people have a higher higher tolerance to emotional discomfort and it again it's it's an individual thing and again it's even harder when you don't have the same experiences that the person you're trying to tell the story has dealt with over a lifetime so the yeah. backstory is Akimalu is originally from the former Soviet Union, uh, grew up in Ukraine. His father was Nigerian, if I remember correctly. I believe so. And so he's, he's black, and his mother yeah. is white, and I think she's Ukrainian. Mm-hmm. And they had issues at, you know, in their lifetime, and he and his brother in living in under the sort of former Soviet rule, I believe was that the time frame. So they emigrated to Canada. And so you have a you know, an uh, um, ethnic minority uh, mm-hmm. family, uh, you know, a mixed family. And, um, and this kid goes to Canada. I think it's in Ontario, right, if, where they are. Mm-hmm. And he realizes he loves hockey. Now, they don't have a lot of money, so they're, they're scraping to get by. And he, puts, yeah. he finds old leather skates at a yeah. yard sale but loves them and just can't get enough of it. And he become he realizes that this is one of his true passions that he's discovered hockey, and then he, he chronicles in this article his lifetime and how he dealt with and has experienced a lot of racism in mm-hmm. his hockey life, and and I'm sure it's not just limited to that, Sean, because unfortunately yeah. even in 2020 I don't think um, the deal issue with race in our country and around the world is anywhere near where we want it to be or where we think it is. Yeah. And that's probably the, uh, this is, I mean, again, a very serious topic of two guys who have not dealt with this experience. Correct. You or myself, uh, neither of us. No, and, 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 and I think that's on one of the important basis. And so we can't comment on it, no matter how much we care about the other people. No. Right. No. And, and the, like the point, yeah, the point is we can, have conversations about it and you can you can have you can talk about we can talk about the situation and everything like that but neither you or I can speak to what 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 Kimalu's experience or another another minority another minority's experience cuz we don't we don't have the we don't have that experience we have a very both just to be frank and it's and it's we both have a very we're both white men we're both very have a very we have we're a race in a ethnic group that's been very privileged in everything and yes. that's that's not something that um it, it, 
something that's just worth acknowledging. It is. More, and I think it's important uh, to set that scene because yeah. I, and I know you feel the same way, yeah. I have no, at least I try not to, I don't think I have any issues with any diverse, uh, you know, somebody from any ethnic background. I would think that, you know, I'm like everybody else. I think you should be judged on your character and your merit, not mm-hmm. where you come from, yeah. what you look like. It should be what kind of person you are. Um, yeah. I, unfortunately, I don't think that's across the board in whether it's the hockey world or if it's in the, 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 the earth overall. There are a lot of people that are tribal and have stereotypical views on people from different parts of the world. And, and not to spend the whole time talking about the state of race and racism in our world, but this is what this article gets down to is that, and I think his, forgive me for maybe summarizing it too much, is that Akima Lu said that the major NHL marketing of diversity and inclusion is hockey is for everyone. And his thesis of this whole article is hockey is not for everyone. Yeah. And Sean, you're a parent now. I'm a dad of two boys. You have a young daughter. And I think it hits home even more when you become a parent because you then become responsible for a young one that you just want everything to go well for. He, in his article, talks about uh, incidents with his junior team in the OHL. One uh, incident where uh, there was a hazing where they were trying to cram four young 16-year-old boys into a, a bus, a coach bus bathroom, which is basically the size of a porta potty or an airplane bathroom. It's tiny. Four of them in there, stripped naked, and with the heat cranked up and forced to stay in there for an extended period of time. He refused to do that. Two days later, in the on the ice, one of their top players, if not their top player, tapped him on the shoulder and then cross-checked him violently in the mouth, uh, breaking, I think it was seven teeth. Yeah. But, it was just a, a, a horrible, violent act that didn't belong. And he said he felt alone. And yeah. that's where I get into the whole being a parent and the kids and everything. Because the one thing I always want my sons to feel, and Sean, I don't want to speak for you, but I'm sure you mm-hmm. agree, is you never want your kids to feel like they're alone. They have friends, family, support systems, anything bad, you're not alone. You need help come to us. And so as a parent, you hear that and it's just heartbreaking for him to describe this on multiple occasions because it's not just one. This is repeated things of feeling like he had nowhere to turn to. Mm And it's it's it, it's it's terrifying, and it's it's not it's a terrifying concept to think about. Like you, you think about your own kid, and you think about what they would be in the situation, and it's how race and how um, minorities are treated in this country is something, and, and in the world, not just this country, in the world, um, it's something that it's one thing to it's one thing to say, oh yeah, I, I support inclusivity and everything like that but it's another thing to really understand it and understand what that means and I'll, I'll be honest like with myself I think it's something that it took it's it's something that as I've grown and as a human and something that that I've started to understand better and I'm not, I'm not saying I understand everything I'm not saying that at all but I've started to understand things and things that I never even would have comprehended in the past like for me, one of the big things that I've noticed and I would have never really thought about just as far as how the world is different for people because 
is I have a my, my sister-in-law my, my sister my sister-in-law is a black woman and she is a she is an and so my and she's married to my sister it's an interracial marriage they're um, um, they're they're an interracial gay couple they are not they do not fit what is the old old norm of what old white America looks at and I know there are many things that I've talked to my sister-in-law about or my sister were things that they have they've seen there's there's life experiences they've had that I will never have that are terrifying there are life experiences that they have had that I would have never thought to consider that and not that and I don't know what I could have done differently to consider that. And I'm, I'm not sure if there's anything I could have done differently to consider that. But those are the type of things that now in the future, I kind of use that in, okay, these are the things. In particular, now that I have a daughter and, and, and a kid and someone else, I, I those are the type of things I try, will try to think about as you, as you grow up and as I continue to grow as a person and to teach some things like that of, hey, this is what, there's, there's more of this world than what is your norm. Um, and in hockey, just to kind of loop us back to hockey here, one of the things about it, it you just, you just, and, and I'm not sure if I ever, on one, like, I don't think, and, and here's, and here's the, here's the frank the matter. Like I think back like, Oh, is there racism in hockey? Is, do we have a race issue and everything like that? And I can't think of any, I can't think of any times growing up where I had, where I saw anything like this, but I also never had any black teammates. Like, and, and I think right. that's the bigger thing where it's not like, I think that's what it comes down to. I played, I, I started playing ice hockey when I was in, in sixth, seventh grade, um, played in New Jersey and Michigan and, and, um, but I never had, I never had any black teammates where, it was this spot where I would have seen this, where, where I would have seen it. And, um, and so it's, it's one of those things where like, it's, it's an issue that we have and it's something that needs to be addressed in this world. And it's something that needs to be, but we don't, I think we, you and I, and a lot of people in the hockey community forget that it's an issue because it's because of how small the population of, they really are a minority because of how, because of because of how small the population of black hockey players is, we forget about the issue because it's not in our face all the time. Yeah. Like, so like because we see you see examples of sadly you see examples of racism every day, racism every day all around the world, and so it's it's you don't for so it's easy to it's easier in that situation in the real world to not forget about it. But in the hockey world, it's easy to forget about it because all of a sudden you go into when we go into the Stars locker room, since 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 Jamel Smith left the, the organization, when we go into the Stars locker room, it is 20, 20, 20 white hockey players, 10, 15 media members that are mostly white guys, and that's what it is. It's everyone who has a somewhat understood experience and some not understood, somewhat un, basically same experience. Um, where the difference is, okay, maybe someone speaks a different language or is from a different country, but it's not the, oh, well, I wasn't allowed to do this, or I was this because of my color, my skin, and everything like that. So um, it's, 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 it's sad when you have kind of this misunderstanding that leads to hatred and stuff like that, that kind of lives under, may live under the surface somewhere and then only comes out when 
it's given an opportunity to. I don't know if any of that makes sense. Yeah, I know I mean, it was rambling, but... No, I mean, it's interesting <laughs> because I think about how watching kids, you know, some kids yeah. can be really nasty. But yeah. I don't think that people are born with hatred. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that that's cultivated um, to yeah. some degree. Now, some kids might have a propensity to be to lash out and not know how to handle their feelings, and so they get violent or physical or, or just nasty teasing and bullying and stuff. But I think proper teaching and parenting from parents, teachers, coaches in youth sports, whatever it is, can help at an early age say, that's not appropriate. We don't act like that. That's not okay. And that's yeah. really what Akima Lu's article, uh, his story brought out was, because he didn't just say, this is a problem. Here's what I've dealt with. He actually offered some paths <laughs> towards a better life. Now, I don't know if solutions is the right yeah. word, but certainly improvements. And he talks about it from the grassroots up of youth hockey coaches from the young age not perpetuating certain uh, ways of tribalism or acting, you know, don't act out or be different. Um, we all, he, he talked a lot about how, and we all know this, Sean, from a media standpoint, players are extremely robotic. Mm-hmm. They're taught, oh, don't be different, don't stand yeah. out, you know, uh, don't, don't give the, the media anything to latch on to. And unfortunately, that sort of uh, quells a lot of the personalities that would really make this game even more fun and market even better. Um, And so, but but really, yeah, I think there should be more acceptance of people who are different. You know, I hate to necessarily point to a guy like P.K. Subban, but he has pushed, and I give him a lot of credit, he's he's a very good player. Um, He is obviously very outspoken. He has a big personality. And he takes a lot of negativity in the hockey world for being outspoken mm-hmm. and being yeah. a, a guy that's not afraid to show the personality. And, and some people say, well, he's doing his own thing. He's not a good team guy. And I think that would be really insulting to him because I'm sure he prides himself on being a good teammate while also still showing that he's not a drone. Yeah. I mean, the thing we need to be and the thing that we don't have in the hockey world is – we don't have a situation where hockey players would feel comfortable. Um, we don't have we don't have a situation where hockey players, and this goes at multiple levels. They don't feel comfortable saying, "Hey, that's wrong." They yes. also don't. They Speaking they also out. yeah. They also they also it also goes to the same thing where they very rarely have the comfort level saying, "Hey, that's right." Too like it goes. It's a double edged sword here. Where very rarely do we say, "Hey, that's wrong" or "That's right." There, it's. There are guys who. There are players who get involved in certain things that they actually believe in, and they hardly ever talk about it because they don't want to, say, oh well, that takes away from. That takes away from the team talking about my thing, and that's and that's that's very sad. That's something that we shouldn't. That shouldn't be the case. Like, I think, like, many ways, the NHL would be a lot better league. Would be a much better league if it was more like the NBA, where players were actually humans like yes like and i'm not the and i'm not personalities sell especially in like, the nba you're, and you're i know absolutely pe- right and i know people like and i'm not even talking about like like i know sometimes it's fun to look at oh well look at the twitter beef and stuff like that like i'm not even talking about like that stuff i'm talking about the actual things where you know what you have athletes who are actually saying like you know what i'm willing to talk about this life issue i'm willing Speaking to talk about, about things this. that involve like, personality yeah. politics social yeah. issues yeah, and players and NHL players are willing to talk about things like that, but never on the record. That's the big thing. I mean, I've had those conversations with players of like, well, hey, you know what, this, this, I dislike this, that, 
but all of it's like, well, I don't, oh, that's off the record. That's off the record sure. because that because is... they don't want to get into that pool. Yeah. So it's... What about um, you? I mean, I've been... I'm, I'm a guy that follows politics a lot. I yeah. like re- watching, you know, mm-hmm. I watch the news a lot. I, I'm interested. I took political science courses in my college studies. I try really hard on social media not to say much of anything about it because I feel like it would very much interfere with my job. And I want people from every political side to be able to come together and enjoy hockey talk. But I also really hate when people say stay in your lane because we're all humans. What? So, yeah. So you're a, you know, no, I mean, there's, there's, I can't talk about electric electrical work because you know more than me. So then you can't talk about hockey because I know more than you. That doesn't seem fair. No, for me, I think there's been more and more of like there's certain things. My my one my one big thing on just in, just my view on politics on just one on all of this is, I don't feel there are many po- political things I personally don't feel I am educated or an expert enough to sure. speak on general. So I'm not going to I'm not going to start a conversation and I don't like I don't want to be a hot taker on on something that I can't have a fair, a fair conversation to back it up with. That's one thing. The other thing that I've done more of just, and admittedly, and this does go back into kind of seeing how people are treated and talking to some people who have had some minority experiences now that I have more people, more people in my life in that circle. I've done more of, uh, there's been more examples of in my own life on social media and in general where I've, and I, I, I don't like admitting this in the past. Where in the past, I may have just ignored it. I, if somebody, if somebody was, if somebody said something on Twitter um, that was against something or or, or offensive, uh, offensive, I probably would have just ignored it or muted the person and done, and that's it. And that's probably what I probably would have done. What do you do now? Now, now it's now. There's times where it depends on what it was. Like you don't, you don't feed trolls, right? Like you don't, you don't, like like you don't, you don't feed trolls in an unnecessary way. But if somebody is. Like the most recent one that comes to mind is there was somebody who, um, when the Stars uh, um, auctioned off the Noche Mexicana jerseys that they use for warm-ups, and somebody tweeted at me saying that this is like, love my Stars, but I hate that where uh, I said something hateful about Mexican-Americans, basically. Like, like why are we doing this? And that was, and I don't know if it's, I don't think this is, I'm not, and I basically, that was one where I actually responded and I said, well... I blocked, told them I was blocking them, and then I said, like, this is basically unacceptable. Yes. This is not something that... So you're calling them out a little bit more. Yeah, and, and it's the thing where I don't know if I'm doing enough, and I probably, I'm, I'm still, like, one thing that I wanted to, like, I think about just kind of in our role in all of this. Um, so I, I tweeted out when the Salu stuff came out, because I was reminded of a story I did on Jamel Smith from 2017, where Jamel, and one of the, it's one of the saddest quotes I've probably got in my career, where where Jamel basically said it's probably a good thing racism happens at a young age so you you learn to deal with it which was really sad it's terrible it was, it was terrible and it's one of those where I look back on the story and I look back on how I handled it and how I wrote it and everything like that and I'm still it's still up on the internet and everything like that and I read through some of it and I read through some of the language and I read through some of the ways some of the phrases some of the phrasing and I just look at it and it's a story where I feel like I wish I could take a better understanding of things that I have now, and I'm not saying I'm an expert, but but I wish I wish I could apply and apply some of the lessons in life that I've seen or learned or read and stuff like that, and apply it to them. Like 
I would love to be able to, love to be able to, there's some, there's some phrasing in there where I think, you know what, I read through it right now and I cringe a little bit thinking like, you know what, that really was a white, you could really tell that was a white male writing about racism and not thinking about how this would come off. Not that, it, not that I come off as a racist, but just as one of those where it's a clear privilege sentence, for lack of a better word. And the fact that I didn't interview any of, I didn't interview any of Jamel Smith's white teammates for the story. That's something that I probably should have done. Just those type of things. And, and probably at the time I didn't do it because you know what? Oh, it's uncomfortable to ask. Yeah. About. And, 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 and so it's those type of things where it's like, can we get better? Can we, we need to be better and we need to continue to grow. And, and we also need to be at a point where there needs to be a comfort level. If you see something you need to be able to stand up for what's right and what's and point out what's wrong. I, I agree. think that's and important. Not just turn the other cheek yeah. or, or yeah. try to avoid that because I mean, yeah. to some extent, we all try to avoid some level of confrontation. It's yeah. a very deep, very profound issue that we. I hope we haven't just destroyed in a poor way because yeah. there's a lot that we haven't touched on. Um, if you get a chance to read the article, check it out. You can Google it. Um, uh, it's on the Players Tribune. Akeem Alou. I thought he did a great job. I really like the fact that he's trying to use all of the things that he's suffered from to mm-hmm. try to make it better. Uh, particularly, he mentioned Keandre Miller, uh, the prospect yeah. of the New York Rangers, who was on a NHL Zoom call during this quarantine. Uh, I think it was a couple months ago now. It was back in March. And somebody started chatting on in the chat for the Zoom, throwing the N-word around and and you just go, the kid's 20 years old. What are you doing? Like, I mean, obviously yeah. that. But I like the fact that he said, I know, I know how he feels. We can't yeah. say that. He no. can. So, again, read the article. Uh, if you have any level of sympathy or empathy for your fellow human, you'll definitely mm-hmm. feel something on this. And maybe it'll help us. What we should all do is just try to get better in all aspects of our life. Not just in one thing, but this was a pretty important thing. Yeah, and and his kind of his thesis and his headline, hockey is not for everyone. That's still that is the case right now. As much as it's as you'd love to be able to say, oh, you know what? No, it really is. It, it's not. I mean, I know there's there there. It is it is not as accepting and as welcoming as as a community as it should be. It's something that is um, that needs to get better and it needs to change. And um, it's one of those things where. As a media member, as a media member, we need to, as a media member, I think we need to be, understand that we have a role that we all need to be better at. And, um, yeah, it's just something that we need to be cognizant of and actually act upon as opposed to, it's not just the players too. It's something where if, if we were to see, if you were to see something like that and if you were to see something like that in a locker room or you're supposed to, if you were to see something that in a media room, I think it'd be our responsibility to, to call it out. So I agree. So. Well, anyway, I thank you for listening to this segment. It was a little bit more serious than we usually get into, but we felt that it was uh, something that had to be brought up and hopefully it, if only a few people listen and read it and move, it maybe perpetuates the dialogue and moves yep. it along a little bit because a lot of us are pretty fortunate to be, uh, I don't know, Sean, maybe blissfully ignorant of all of the things that are, are dealt with in certain yeah. parts of life. So, um, But our eyes are opening slowly, and hopefully we can help. But uh, Not a great transition, but up next we're going to hit your questions with a little lightning round. Lightning round. 
everybody. Welcome to the lightning round as we get to the final phase of this episode of the Quarcast. Sean, it's time to dive into the questions from the fans. So let's get right to it. Uh, the first one actually has a weird connection, a bit of a strange thing from the previous segment of let's not just turn the other cheek and not answer stuff. Yeah. So Casey writes in, hey, Quarcast, did firing Don Cherry cause the canceling of hockey? We definitely had hockey when he was there. He gets fired now, no hockey. Hashtag the grapes curse. Uh, well, obviously, Don Cherry's firing has absolutely zero. I mean, from a from a scientific point, Don Cherry's firing had absolutely nothing to do with COVID-19. So that is, uh, that, that, that's, but um, on top of that, I mean, it's obviously that's something that had been talked about ad nauseum when it happened. Don Cherry went to Don Cherry, got fired for his, his comments. And um, we, I mean, what we kind of talked about in our last segment where you talk about just thinking about acceptance and making hockey feel open for everyone. And Don Cherry didn't do that just to be, just to be, just to be frank on it. I mean, I know there was, you talk about, I think it was, I believe it was our Montreal writer, our uh, Arpon Arpon Basu. I can't. I'm not gonna. I can't pronounce Arpon's lap full name correctly. But he wrote when Don Cherry got fired about how he was this kid who loved hockey. But every time Don Cherry would come on, Don Cherry would tell him that he wasn't what hockey was about. He was. He wasn't the white Canadian that was. Um. So um. No, I mean it's it has nothing. Don Cherry has nothing to do with with the with hot and hockey doesn't need Don Cherry. Just I mean I mean I'm sure I know he still has a podcast right now. If that's your jam, fine for you. But that's um, I hadn't really listened to the only reason Don Cherry ever popped up or was ever in my stratosphere in the last five six years was when he was saying something bad and it popped up honestly so yeah it was i mean look he was the same for the entirety of his career he was the same personality and that's i think what we were talking about in the previous segment a little bit was to learn and grow and Mm -hmm. be willing to change how you do it with society and if you don't you become a dinosaur with that yeah so what worked 30 years ago doesn't necessarily work today with the mm-hmm. same tact or style, and you have to, to adapt with yep. the times. If you don't, you get left behind. All right, so TJ, our old buddy from Austin, <laughs> who I don't think has ever asked a serious question to us in his life, says, is the podcast now going to be co-hosted with the spider that overtook Owen's house? Fortunately, he's still out in the yard. Yep. Um, but no, uh, I think we've got enough blowhards between the two of us that we don't need... No, we don't, we don't need a third, uh, we don't need a spider. Christopher, but thanks, TJ. Uh, at least it wasn't a wrestling question this time. Christopher writes in, is Zubov still involved as a consultant? And to your knowledge, does ownership have consultants independent of management slash front office? Yeah, Sergey Zubov is still a, he still has his role with the stars. That hasn't changed at all. He was, he, uh, I think he was even, he was even in Dallas um, the week of the stoppage, I believe. Um, so no, yeah, he's still there. Um, does ownership have consultants independent of management and front office? Um, they could. He could, and I guess the question to, to answer Chris's question is: I don't. The the word consultants is very loose. Like Chris, um, for example, Tom Gallardi's father, um, Bob. Bob. He, I'm sure, he is a 
he could be considered a consultant, quote unquote, because he advises, he, he talks to his son about business. So it's a very, it's a very open-ended question. So I'm not really sure what, I don't, I don't know the best answer to this question or even know what the question is. Um, so, so, <laughs> That's a great so, sentence. I don't know the answer or even what the question is. <laughs> is uh, well, it's, it's true though. So, I mean, yes. to, to, to what I can answer is yes, Sergey Zubov still works for the stars. What um, I would say, Sean, is I bet you that, that, that team owners probably have people that consult that are independent of the front offices that they're set up. Yes. Whether it's well, I guess, the team I guess presidents the, or business side or hockey ops, I'm sure they have people that are advising them in what, whether it's an, a formal or informal relationship. But we don't necessarily know all the people that an owner discusses about his business with. I mean, we do have the one thing is there is the analytics company in Montreal that um, – that Tom Gillardi has invested in, which is technically not a Dallas Stars property. So right. that is technically an outside consultant. So yes, technically there is as, one as at far least. as we know. Yes. Uh, Crawdaddy writes in, if you had to pick a favorite road city to go to for a game based on food, atmosphere, scenery, etc., which would it be counting AHL cities to? That could be an entire podcast because yeah. here's the thing. When you travel, and I've done a lot more of it in the AHL than I have the NHL and the UHL for that matter, mm-hmm. if you really want to get in deep. But uh, the arena, how it's set up where the press box is, the type of food served in yeah. the media meal all comes into rating for the in-game experience for media guys, broadcasters alike. Then it's the hotel you stay in, whether it's your choice, Sean, because you're picking yours, or with mine, it was with the team where the team stays, the amenities that that hotel offers, the location to the arena, and the types of restaurants and other things there are to do, and how long you're staying in that particular city. So there are lots of variables out there. Yeah, I think, like, if you were to ask me to make just a... Uh, one of my favorite road cities, like, I think one of my favorite road cities is Vancouver. That's definitely one. I love Vancouver. It's very pretty uh, up in Vancouver. Yeah, yeah, I love Vancouver. I like Denver a lot. Um, there aren't many city, road cities I don't like, um, but, like, Vancouver, Well, that's Denver, because you're traveling in the NHL. If you get in the minors, yeah, you get to yeah. have that option a little bit more frequently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Vancouver, Denver, Vegas are all pretty good. Um I think I would tell, I would definitely, if, if I was going to give somebody a list of like, hey, here's five NHL places to go see a game, I would probably have, Vegas would actually, Vegas would be on there, Vancouver would be on there, Montreal would be on oh, there. Oh, definitely Montreal. You know, Montreal. Yeah, Montreal for sure. Um, you, I think t- Toronto would be on there too. Um, and Chicago is great. Like Chicago is a great place to watch a game. The United... The United Center, the atmosphere is great, even though the team has been bad the past couple of years. That's it's, okay. I'm okay with yeah. that. Yeah. But you're right. So, no, I mean, there are a lot of great venues out there. In yeah. fact, from the NHL's perspective, there's a lot I haven't been to. Uh, I have yeah. done and called games in Montreal, uh, AHL-wise, and it's incredible. Yeah. Uh, I love the gondola set up there for the media because you get mm-hmm. a great view and you're closer to the ice. And, yeah. and obviously the food there is fun, too. Um, in the AHL, I'll just answer quickly because I could do an entire yeah. podcast about this. When I was in the Eastern Conference working for the Albany River Rats and the Adirondack Phantoms, I traveled around, obviously, to all those cities, and we didn't really go out west at all. And it's very mm-hmm. different because a lot of the East cities are smaller, uh, older cities, too. You know, um, I really enjoyed going to Portland because Portland, Maine is a fun, small t- city. Uh, mm-hmm. It's also where I'm from, not Portland, but Maine. So my parents would drive yeah. about three hours to meet me there and some great restaurants and just a fun city. The, the hotels near the rink, good times. 
Uh, the other one in the East that we actually really liked was in Norfolk, Virginia, that doesn't have a team in the AHL anymore. But they, we had a great Marriott hotel there. It was one of the nicer Marriotts, so yeah. that's always counts. Norfolk's a good city. It's, there's yeah. great restaurants down on Granby Street. Yeah. You could hop, a, if you really wanted to, you could rent a car and drive out to Hampton Beach, uh, to you know Virginia Beach, you know Hampton Roads area. Uh, the, that's only about 20 minutes away, so... That was a really good spot. Plus, we'd stay there for three or four days because it was the farthest trip we made in the East. <laughs> in the West, there are a lot of bigger cities. We went to Chicago to play the Wolves. I love Milwaukee. I really enjoy that city. You can eat and drink your way into oblivion there, which is a problem. <laughs> yeah. uh, but some great uh, not healthy restaurants in Milwaukee. Uh, going to San Antonio was fun with the Riverwalk down there, although we were mostly day tripping that. Um, so and then I didn't even get the California swing. That happened after I moved yeah. to Dallas. So I would say I would say a lot H- of fun there. And I would say AHL wise, an underrated city in general too. Actually, is Cleveland too. Yes, like, yeah, like, I like Cleveland too. So yeah. So yeah. again, we could do a lot more with that. But thank you, Crawdaddy, for the question there. Sean, yeah. this is for you, because Galapagos even says. I guess this question is mostly for Sean. Yeah. What did you do with that box of hull O's? Did you? Share with Owen. Well, I'll answer this. No, you didn't share with me, but that's okay. You didn't want. You didn't want. You want. No. You didn't want. Did you know? No, and it's. Um, what did I do? Uh, as if you've read the story, I, I ate a bowl of cereal that was that expired on April sixth, two thousand. What did I do? I, I, I ate the bowl of cereal, and so then it I took. Expired twenty years ago. Yes. Yes. I just wanted to point that out. Twenty-year-old yes. expired cereal. Best Buy, not expired. <laughs> There, um, so it wasn't its best. Yes, uh, was it was it opened or was it still sealed? No, no, it was well, it was well sealed. It was well sealed. Okay. That's the only reason I, I I was I wouldn't have when I ordered it and it said still sealed. <laughs> um, I would not have eaten it if the bag wasn't sealed. Can you imagine how stale that would have been if it was open for twenty oh my years? God. I mean, you, I don't yeah. think you would have been able to eat it. No, you wouldn't. Have. Or at least so, not well. If it hadn't been sealed, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have opened. I wouldn't have even tried. But it was sealed well, and so um, it was. It was old. It was. It didn't taste like. It, it just tasted. It was stale. It, that's really what it was. Um, and so I ate a bowl of it, and then I threw away the bag, and I took the empty box, and I popped the empty box up on a shelf, and it's kind of a funny. Uh, now it's a funny thing on a shelf that if someone, it, it'll if someone will come up and say, "Hey, that's a funny box," and I can say, "I have a story for you," and so that's what it is and now. You're not still attracting ants by leaving the cereal in there. So I no, give you not that. doing it. Yeah, it's funny. So here's the thing that I could have done, just that, that I didn't do. Um, my sister, I, it's in that story. I texted my sister, who's a dietitian, about this, and 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 her suggestion was this: Well, you know, you could just throw out the old bag and put a new bag in there and pour it out. <laughs> so. So next question, because we'll move on from 20-year-old expired cereal. Yeah. Raphael writes in, please stop saying your podcast is too long. We feel like <laughs> it is. The longer, the better these days. My question, could you follow up on what you said a few episodes ago and tell us why you would scratch the All-Star game? I think you both said you didn't like it. Well, first of all, Raphael, I appreciate you like the longer ones, and I get yeah. it with being in quarantine. You probably have some free time, but we are trying to keep this to be like an hour to an hour 15, and we've failed miserably. Miserably. Um, Miserably. I don't even think we're even close. Maybe we'll keep it to an hour and a half today. I'm not sure. Depends on how long this goes. Uh, All-Star game. Would you scratch it? Yes, I would. Yeah. Um, I don't think the NHL All-Star game 
is as good. I mean, really, the only All-Star game I really thought had any sort of competitiveness to it was the Major League Baseball All-Star game. Players are actually trying to hit. Pitchers are trying to not get embarrassed. And it it looked interesting. Yeah, because baseball also has the metric where there's no... It's it's just... Baseball doesn't require the effort required for it to be a real real game. That's the that's what it is. Um, to me, I don't. I just think it's it's. I don't know if there's a way to fix the NHL All Star Game, and it just turns into this this mid season kind of thing. Players don't want to go. It turns into this this half assed game. The skills competition is only interesting for five minutes. Right. Um, it's for the like, kids. Look, my kids yeah. are more excited about it than we are. Yeah. By far. Yeah, and I think even the other thing, too, like even the baseball All-Star game has lost some luster for me, too. I think one of the big things about the baseball All-Star game that here, – here's, here's actually – and this applies to baseball and hockey. To me, the reason that the All-Star game used to be this great thing was I could watch all these great players. And I think technology – and maybe this is a theorem spouting. Oh, I, I see where you're going with this. Yeah, I think technology has killed the All-Star game in a longer scale because – it used to be where, when in the age of just TV rights and, and, and the only game you could watch, so if you were a Dallas Stars fan in 2002, just to pick a year, right? Um, the only time you could probably watch, uh, the only time you could watch uh, Mario Lemieux, the only time you could watch, or the only time you could watch Mario Lemieux is in the All Star game or in the national TV games, which were very limited. So. The All Star Game was a big deal. You could watch, but now if you want, if you're a hockey fan and you want to watch a star player every night, if you want to watch all 82 of Evgeny Malkin's games, you can go do that right. in Dallas, and it's not that hard. And so if I you think were outside of the, that home team's market, it was yeah. much harder to do. And I think that's like I look back at kind of the I look back at that's probably one of the reasons I liked All Star Games as a kid is I could be like, oh well, hey, I could see, I could I could watch this just being a kid who grew up as a goalie I always loved watching the I, I loved watching and no one watches an all-star game for goaltending but he's like oh well hey here in this all-star game it's Patrick Waugh it's Dominic Hasek it's Berdor it's all of them in a row and I can oh I can watch these Nowadays, guys play some of the big guys are trying to avoid it like yeah. for example Alex Ovechkin saying yeah. look I, I need to stay healthy the days off yeah. are important to me and and I always thought that look I, I I'm not trying to criticize Ovechkin in this yeah. regard, but I like what Wayne Gretzky said, which was I went to everyone I was named to because I felt it was an incredible honor. Mm-hmm. Wayne Gretzky, for all his talent, also realized he got it. He knew that he had to help sell the league, and I think that's one thing I would like to see more star players do, but all players, but particularly superstars, realize that they have a pretty important role in selling the sport. I would scrap the. So here's what I would do. Here's something I, I think that could sell the sport and could be fun. I think I would I would scrap the All Star Game and obviously non Olympic years because NHL players should go to the Olympics in my opinion. But yeah. um, in non Olympic years, I think you could have some fun with introducing another part of a competition where there's something on the line. Like it's how and this just maybe this goes back to the soccer fan in me where. I can enjoy watching a team in the Premier League and then also watching the FA Cup too. And so whether there's a mid-season tournament or something that you do um, like that, that to me would be way more entertaining than an All-Star game. So. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how to pull that up, but yeah, I, 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 I like the skills competition. Um, yeah. Maybe just do that. Maybe get rid of the game itself. Maybe get together and do all the wacky stuff and find what works and what doesn't and do that. Yeah. 
Um, Ardell writes in, the Stars have proven to be a resilient team time and time again this season. Do you think Dallas is better suited than others to overcome the layoff as just the latest challenge in a season of obstacles? Can they win the Cup? Um, I think that Dallas is, I think, it's been so long now, Sean. It's not like this was like a three-week layoff. I think that everyone's starting from scratch. I don't think that the Stars are any less, any more disadvantaged than any other team. So I get what Ardell's coming from. I just think that this is so long now that it's going to be like starting over. And yeah, like, then from, as far as can they win a couple? Yes, they can. Uh, if they have great defense and goaltending and good special teams, absolutely. I don't know if they will, but they're definitely a contender, especially now with everything being so crazy. Yeah, no, they, they, can, they can win the Cup. I don't know if they're a favorite is what I'm yeah. saying, but they're no, definitely yeah, to, a contender. To, to answer his last question, can they win the Cup? Yes. Um, if they if they do win the cup, this will just be. If if they do win the cup, I guarantee you there will be narratives about how all the things that this season included the roller coaster that included a pause for however long this pause will be. Um, I think the one the one thing it has nothing to do with Dallas being resilient. I think the one thing about this pause that I think helps Dallas and made and just just kind of. I think could be a fascinating, give us a fascinating sample size that we may never get again, is we may get a fully healthy, fully energized, best version of Jamie Benn in the NHL playoffs for the last time ever. Could be. I mean, just because, just because. When the, else the, would he ha- yeah. go into a playoff having months off? Yeah, rested. When else would Jamie go into a playoffs? I didn't think about Rested that. and... And just because Jamie's style, I think it was, it was it, Jamie's style, it was uh, one of the quotes that didn't end up in my story I did last week just because of how long that story already was. But Marty Turco told me, he said, he said, it's a shame the NHL season is 82 games because no one can play the way Jamie Benn plays for 82 games. Right. So Jamie Benn always goes into the playoffs. And while he has turned it on in the playoffs, like we saw against Nashville last year in the first round, his body is beaten down every year. And so I think this could be a playoff series where we get Jamie rested going in Jamie's body recovered where he can be that physical force without having to deal with that nagging injury he got or with that or without dealing without dealing with the after effects of a hit he threw in game 81 and stuff like that so um, I think that is an advantage for Dallas but I don't think it has anything to do with resiliency I just think it's a kind of a health thing like um Everyone's going to be healthier. Every, everyone is. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've talked about this before. Some yeah, teams yeah, like Colorado, yeah. Columbus really beat up. It's going to yeah. be more, maybe more advantageous for them just yeah. to have fully healthy players. Yeah. yeah. French Toast writes in, positive inclusion story alert. DSMHL, which is the Dallas Stars Metro Hockey League, the youth league, has been great mm-hmm. for our kiddos. Playing has been of notable benefit to daughter who deals with dyslexia and ADHD. Hockey has magnified her joy, confidence, and self-esteem. How much has hockey grown in DFW since 1999? It's been a huge part of yeah. how the Stars have used not only to grow the game in this area, but to grow their fan base in Dallas. And we went from you know, people having to be instructed in the arenas what the, the basic rules are to now having players drafted and playing in the NHL from this market. And it's only going to keep getting better the more and more kids come through here. I think it's grown incredibly. Going back to our last segment, Sean, talking about inclusion, uh, look, youth hockey's done some great things for kids around, but we want to make sure that people aren't falling through the cracks, whoever they may be. Yeah. 
No, that's that's a that's a. I don't really. You, you hit that nail on the head. I don't really have anything Fair else enough. to say. All right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it has grown yeah. a lot, yeah. and yeah. The, the amount of rinks now versus uh, Bruce loves to talk about on our radio show about having to skate at the Galleria Mall <laughs> in the middle of the foot of the of the the mall. Right? There's yeah. people walking around, and there's a rink in there. Now you have eight Dallas Star Centers that are incredible and. Um, the, obviously the technology for the ice surface and the heat of Texas in the summer yep. is much, much better than what we saw them complaining about, especially in the in reunion arena in St. Louis series, there's chips in the ice. They took the ice out after the Edmonton series, put new ones in, and they're still complaining about it. So, uh, American Airlines Center has gotten a lot better for that. Yeah. It, hockey's been great. Jared writes in Brett Hull, speaking of that series is fourth all-time in goals scored. He helped bring a franchise its first-ever title. Is there a similar comparison to Hull pre-1999 to Alex Ovechkin pre-2017-18 season in terms of perception or reality? Who was better, Bobby Hull or Brett Hull? Two different questions. So uh, the issue, I don't think... um, So the Ovechkin versus Hull question, I think, is two different things because... Hole for Brett Hole was never Brett Hole was never the captain. Brett Hole was never billed as this is the guy as as this is the guy who is going to be, for lack of a better, the guy that's going to drag a team to a title. Brett Hole has always been the he was the sniper and the hired gun. That's who he was. That's and there's nothing wrong with that, but that's what who Brett Hole was. Ovechkin was like that earlier in his career, and but we but was tasked with kind of being that guy that they built in all of the hopes and dreams of a franchise on. And so I don't think it's fair to say, to compare Brett Hull coming in as a free agent signing to help Dallas win a Stanley Cup compared to Ovechkin going through everything he went through to, to basically bring, to bring Washington, to help bring Washington a title. I don't, I don't think it's a fair comparison really because it's two very different, um, Brett, Brett, the Brett only comparison was, is that they're both great goal scorers. Yeah. But how they score their goals and what they do is not the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the other thing, too, is that, like Ovechkin is a better overall player than Brett Hull. That's the other thing, right. too. Like, Hull had an incredible shot, though. He, he did, and Ovechkin had an incredible shot. But Ovechkin is, is while he is a goal scorer and a goal scorer first, Ovechkin is, does more as an overall hockey player. He actually he, he, he would hit. He, he, you've seen some... The way he plays the game, like he does more overall than Alex Ovechkin cannot score and still impact the game. Brett Hull in his career, if he didn't score, he didn't impact the game. Is that a fair assessment? Uh, I think relatively. I think yeah. Hull is better as a player than we give him credit. And seeing some of the games that we have so far remind you of that. Well, no, I, I'm, not, he, I'm not saying he, I'm not saying a, that he was more of a creator than just a guy that sat around and shot. Yeah, but, but I'm, he but could I'm, disappear uh, yeah. and then show up and score on one shot yeah. and win the game. Yeah. But uh, I mean, but as good as Brett Hall is, Alex Ovechkin is better. Yeah. Um, I never really watched Bobby Hall play. I've read a lot and heard a lot about his legend. But do you know much about actually? Have you ever watched Bobby Hall play compared to I his son? I don't know if I've ever watched a Bobby Hall game. Or yeah. Not. So, so I, I that's not really. I'm, I'm, I'm ill-equipped I, to answer that. I, I don't know. I can't answer that question. Oleg, last question. We'll wrap this up and not do a 45-minute uh, lightning round today. I think that's our effort to try to stay somewhat within our time parameters that we don't have anyway. Yeah. Interesting thought that crossed my mind, Oleg writes. 
Stars started slow in October. Obviously won't have the same comfort to do so this time around. Thoughts on that? Well, he's absolutely right, Sean. Yeah. You can't go 1-7-1 and one in the if we come back to in the playoffs. playoffs. They're out. Yes. yes. Um, but I also don't think... Um, I don't think the... The Stars are a slow starting team as far as games go. That is that is something that has always been, that's been this team's mo for the last two three years. They have, there's been first periods have not been good and they've been slow to start. Um, I also don't think, but as a team that starts the season slow and everything like that, uh, I, I don't think really. I think that one seven and one is so far in the past now. Like I mean it's. It's 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 a coaching change ago. It's a pandemic ago. Like it's okay, so, so let's, much. Let's move forward. What about yeah. the six game losing skid to to end the run? I don't think it matters. Like yeah. I really don't think it matters at all. Like I don't think, like honestly, I think we're gonna go into this playoff right now. You think and that I don't, was just a, a dip in the season that happens to every team? I, I think I think so. But I also, I also think anything that happened in the regular season, I don't think it matters. Like I really like. I think you're gonna go into. Both the good and the bad. Like yes. the fact the like the fact the stars were one of the best teams in the NHL for that middle portion between the beginning and the end. Doesn't that matter. doesn't matter. No. That doesn't matter either. Like I don't right. think any of that matters. Like I really think this is gonna be it's such a long break. It's gonna be it's gonna be coming back and we have no idea what it's gonna look like because I'm sure there are some players we're gonna learn are I think it's going to come down to individual level. Like maybe just throw names out of here. Maybe Joe Pavelski looks great coming out of it. Maybe this was maybe Joe Pavelski looks great coming out of this. But maybe uh, um, maybe right. Essa Lindell. Maybe Corey maybe, Perry just yeah. turns. He was finding his game. Yeah. And playing really good hockey in March. Mm-hmm. Maybe he becomes exactly what Jim Neal hoped he would be. Yeah. For the playoffs, and the Stars oh, capture lightning like, in a bottle. Like I'm gonna be, so I'm gonna be fascinated to see just, and this isn't just the stars. This is across the league. I'm gonna be fascinated to see the goaltending impact yes. because there are some goalies who are there are some goalies that always start well. There's some goalies who are rhythm goalies. There are some goalies who, and when I say rhythm goalies, they're guys who they play a lot, but they 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 once they kind of get that, once they get four or five games in a row, they really get going and they get really going. They're not gonna have that run into the playoffs. So I'm going to be fascinated to see because I'm sure there are some goalies who are, we are going to learn. You know what? They really probably needed the last four or five games of the regular season to get roll, get the ball rolling into the playoffs. And some guys who can just pick it up and go. Like it's going to be fascinating. So, well, that is it for this week. Um, I'd like to just end by saying, no, the spider did not take over the house once again. I am speaking of my own free will. And Sean, we're heading into Memorial Day weekend. Any uh, any last thoughts before we say so long to Steve the Spider? I didn't even know it was a week. Like I was like, I mean, I know now, but I didn't even know it was a memor- I didn't even know it was a holiday weekend. So <laughs> there we have it. Well, thanks for listening. Enjoy your Memorial Day weekend, and we will be back for episode ten of the Quarcast next week. <laughs>